Political pollsters may have missed the mark this election. And it's not the first time. In 2016, state polls vastly underestimated support for Donald Trump. So heading into Election Day 2020, there was a lot of pressure on pollsters to get it right. And yet... It appears the polls this year just didn't capture the full electorate. Big losers at the polls, repeating their 2016 blunders. We're headed for a polling reckoning in the months and years ahead. Many polls showed Biden with a significant lead, including the Wall Street Journals, which had him ahead by 10 points. And while Biden did win the presidency, the race was much closer than the polls predicted. But not every pollster came out of Election Day with a black eye. Ann Seltzer was right on the money. How does it feel to be right? It's pretty good. I can't lie. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, November 9th. Coming up on the show, a conversation with Ann Seltzer, the Iowa pollster who got it right. This episode is brought to you by Canva. When your work looks good, you look good. So create all the stunning presentations, docs, whiteboards, and videos you need with Canva. Start with one of the designer-made templates or jump ahead with the power of AI. It's a real time saver and anybody can use it. Whatever department you work in, whatever you need, Canva will help you get it done and make it look fantastic. Start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. Ann Seltzer has run the Iowa poll for the Des Moines Register since the 1990s. Can you tell us about the poll you run for the Register on Iowa? So the Iowa poll has been in existence since 1943, and it has pretty much been the same since its inception. It's a poll of 800 Iowans interviewed for 12 minutes normally, close to an election And what we want is for every person who is in our universe to have an equal chance to be contacted by our poll. Over her career, Anne has earned a reputation for releasing polls that cut against prevailing wisdom. And often, she's right. This year, it happened again. Going into the election, most polls were showing a tight race in Iowa. Trump and Biden were neck and neck, and the race for Republican Joni Ernst's Senate seat was tight, too. So I want to go back to Saturday before Election Day. Tell us about the poll you put out that day. And how did it compare to the rest of the polls out there? Right. So Saturday before a poll is released is an early day for us. So we've been up late and we're up early and we're mashing the numbers and we're taking a look. And our poll was showing a a solid lead for President Trump and a decent lead for Senator Joni Ernst. And it was the widest margin, I think, of any poll that I can remember seeing. We were aware that this would surprise many people. It would surprise the Register readers. It would surprise the political universe, both in Iowa and around the country. And how did you feel as you were about to release these results, this poll? 
You would think, after having released many of these under similar circumstances, you would get used to what sort of I call a, a little cloud of anxiety. That is, from the time the poll comes out, my Twitter feed, my Facebook feed, my inbox is full of people going, you're wrong, you're crazy, here she goes again, she's going to be wrong, this is all garbage, pay no attention. And there's nothing to do during that time except wait and see. You know, I have the little conversation with myself to say, look, you're either going to be golden or you're going to be a goat. And just be ready either way. How close were you to the actual results? We were very close. I think we hit the presidential race kind of right on the head. We also were showing that Senator Ernst won, and I don't know that we hit that margin exactly right, but right enough. Joni Ernst was winning in one poll the weekend before, and she won handily in the end. Trump winning Ohio by seven points and Iowa by six points above what polls predicted. (laughs) Well, I say I'm going to be golden or a goat. It's better to be golden. (laughs) Yeah, right. As the results came in from Iowa on election night, Some who had questioned Ann's poll took it back. Former Obama advisor David Axelrod tweeted, quote, she was right, I was wrong. My Twitter feed and my Facebook feed kind of light up with all kinds of people, some famous names who are, you know, bothering to comment and check in. And some of them send me personal emails. You know, it's it's pretty good. I can't lie. I kind of tease myself that I'm the outlier queen Anne was right. But why? It comes down to how she approaches polling. Her philosophy, if you were to sum it up, is don't pay attention to the past. She says polling should be about what's happening now. When you bake past assumptions into your data, you miss what's new. So I call my approach polling forward. There are many polls that include, in the way they're going to define likely voters or the way they're going to weight their data, something that happened in the past. Some pollsters like to say, well, last time the non-white turnout was like this, so I need to make my sample of likely voters look like that. Or last time we didn't have enough people who didn't have a college degree, so I'm going to make my data look like that. And I think that's misguided. My method is to stay out of the way of my data revealing to me what is happening with the electorate. Can you... Tell us what you mean by that. I will. And I'll do it by way of a a story, which is when this just gelled in, in my spine. And this is the caucuses in 2008. In 2008, Barack Obama was the underdog, competing for the Democratic nomination against more well known candidates like Hillary Clinton. And our final poll said that on the Democratic side, 60% of the people who were going to show up, that would be their first caucus. Ann's poll was saying that Iowans, who had never caucused before, would turn out. And that they would turn out in huge numbers. It was a bold finding. And the Register published it. And within half an hour of that coming out, there were memos from the Clinton campaign saying, pay no attention to this. She's made outrageous assumptions about what this caucus-going public is going to look like. And I have a friend who was involved at the upper echelon of the Hillary Clinton campaign that year, and he called me up and he said, I don't believe your numbers because I've knocked on 99 doors. 
And I said, well, tell me about the 99 doors. Oh, people who've caucused before and registered Democrats. They were blind to what was happening in the Obama campaign, that they were creating new caucus goers. So on caucus night, the entrance polls show I was, you know, one to two points, three points off of it being this gigantic turnout. It was a freight train that I saw in my data because I got out of the way. I assumed nothing. My data told me this is the way it's going to be. And I trust my data. To Anne, 2008 is a case in point. You don't want to bake in assumptions about who will vote or in Iowa, who will caucus based on the past. Other pollsters will talk about their likely voter model. And so... They may include a question about how often have you voted in the past? And if you've been a regular voter, you're going to get a little more heft in that poll just in terms of your weight, your representation. And if this is the first time you've ever voted, well, there's a thought that maybe you'll turn out, maybe you won't. You're a little more iffy. They might take a look at the way that the parties are distributed in their data and say, you know, this looks like it's tilted a little bit too much Republican. And they might adjust it to something that they've seen in the past. And when you say you don't stand in the way of your data, you're saying you don't weight these things the way other polling outfits do. There are certain things I do not weight. And the top of that list would be party. I probably have the simplest method (laughs) It is the least complicated, and probably there are pollsters out there that need or or feel it's a marketing advantage to have something that's complex and is a trade secret. I just find if you stay out of the way, your data will tell you a story. How would you say the polls have done this year? There are new ways to make mistakes. (laughs) Let's just say that. New mistakes and old ones. After the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode of The Journal is brought to you by KPMG. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights. Bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. KPMG, make the difference. Ann's poll recognized Trump's lead in Iowa this year, just like she did four years ago. Then, Ann predicted Trump would beat Clinton in Iowa by seven points. He won by nine. But other pollsters were way off in 2016, not just in Iowa, but around the country. And that spurred a reckoning in the polling industry. The error 
last time was not enough, what I will call high quality polling in the three key states, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. When I say it's not quality polling, these were people who either had a sampling method that didn't include everybody, or they had a panel of people who said, poll me, poll me, I agree to be polled. And once you have that, then it's hard to say you have an accurate cross-section of this ultimate universe. Polls where people opt in, by definition, aren't like the random ones where pollsters cast a wide net. But Anne says this time around... Those states had a lot of high-quality polls, so they didn't repeat that mistake. I think one of the things that is hard for the general public to understand and therefore accept is that things change. And as you get close to Election Day, the speed of things changing is ever greater. It's difficult for a pollster to, with perfection, to identify exactly a cross-section of who's going to show up on Election Day because people are deciding whether they will vote or won't vote all the way up to the end. And it isn't so much necessarily that people are changing their own mind, but they might be convincing a neighbor to come vote with them. Or they drive by their voting site and there's not a long line. They go, oh, I guess it won't be a bother to go vote. It's the last minute deciders that that's very hard for a poll to do very well. Whether this election will set off a second reckoning for pollsters is still TBD. But pollsters agree that their industry is facing a bigger challenge that strikes right at the core of what they do. How hard it is to connect with a random sampling of people. It's a problem that's been brewing for decades. So when the Iowa poll was first invented by George Gallup, it was uh, drawing a sample of intersections and sending a map to mostly housewives around the state and go and knock on this door. So turn left and knock on the third door on the south side and, and gathering data very personally. When telephones became the method, and this is in the late 70s, it's later than people might think, here's this huge advantage of this technology, which for each household, one phone number. And if you know the phone number, you know where they live, pretty much within a tight area because of the way area codes are assigned and the way telephone prefixes were assigned. Well, this is a beautiful thing. The beauty of landlines for pollsters was that people didn't know who was calling. They had to pick up the phone to find out, and then they might answer the survey. And so at that time, pollsters could get the survey results they needed with just a few phone calls. But then people got answering machines and caller ID and eventually cell phones, and survey response rates went way down. In 1997, 36% of people pollsters called would complete a survey. That response rate plummeted to 6% in 2018, according to the Pew Research Center. So the technology is now really weighted against pollsters in being able to get a good representative sample. And yet, we persevere. (laughs) We are able to get random samples of landline phones, and we can get random samples of cell phones. And there are ways to overcome it And as I talk to you today, I have to say, for now, it can work. But we don't know how long, and it has less to do with the technology and more to do with the fact that our industry relies 
to be trite, on the kindness of strangers, of people seeing their phone ring, typically, and looking at the phone number and deciding if they're going to answer it and then deciding if they're going to stay on the phone and deciding if they're going to answer all the questions or answer truthfully. Do you know? Right. So you're over-indexed on patient people. We, we may be over-indexed on patient people and people who are civically engaged. For now, that's not a barrier that is too high. But I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know how long this business model will be able to work. Why do you say that? Because for now it's working, but we know how many calls we have to make to get a single complete, and it's a lot. And you worry about people, again, because are they different in some way intellectually, not just demographically, but we can't really deal with the factors that cause one person to answer and one person not. All we know for now, you can't say it's not working. It's still working now. I think my data proves that up. Should people pay attention to polls? I come back to what if they didn't exist? What would inform someone that the candidate that they prefer is trailing in the polls and maybe they should volunteer? Maybe they should make some phone calls and they should door knock. If you don't know, are you more likely to just sit it out? So a world without polls, not so good. The world where everybody obsesses on every poll number, you know, for good or for ill, it is what it is. And it's a little bit of human nature, but lots of people to blame for that. So I'm the wrong person to say polls are terrible and people shouldn't pay any attention. So you said you're known as the queen of outliers? (laughs) And that held true again this election? Mm Mm-hmm. So, queen of outliers, is there anything else you would like to leave us with? (laughs) Well, it does mean that I can add to my tiara collection. So that's just my own little personal way of celebrating. (laughs) Do you literally buy yourself a tiara? I typically do after every election season if it goes well. Yeah. As long as you're not the goat. As long as I'm not the goat. If I'm a goat, I get no tiara. No no tiara for you. Well, queen of outliers... (laughs) I guess you're in the market for a 2020 tiara. (laughs) I think so. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's all for today, Monday, November 9th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.